Well, I hope you have your Bible or your phone. Um, I have my phone back here. I've got mine on uh, uh, silence. But I hope you have something that you can follow along in the Scripture because the message today covers a span of six chapters. And it was a, it's a very difficult assignment in one sense to try to distill all of what happens in those six chapters of Second Samuel chapters 13 through 18. But have your Bible out, have a phone out with your Bible app open so that you can scan down as I talk about a lot of these things. I won't have time to put up every scripture that I might reference. I'll just uh, tell the story. But we have plenty of scripture today. It's pl- built plenty on the Word of God. And I believe I'm going to give you some great tools and understanding of how, how to uh, respond to the subject today. So the story of Absalom is a big but very sad story in Second Samuel. And, and my task today was to distill this story down in uh, 45 or 50 minutes and help us see the reason why God put so much information about this part of David's life in the Scriptures. But let's begin here. Let's know that, if you'll turn to chapter 13, that David marries a woman whose name is Maacah. And she is a Syrian princess whose father was King Talmai of Geshur. Now, the Bible doesn't tell you all that. I had to do the research to find that out. But Geshur was a small kingdom east of the Sea of Galilee in the southern part of the Golan. And if you've been to Israel, if you've been out to the Sea of Galilee, often we'll take people up into that northern section of the Sea of Galilee If you look across the sea, you can see the Golan Heights. You can see that mountain range over there, and that's Syria. And so this is where she was from. And this marriage to Maaka was probably a political move on David's part. He he did it to arrange peace and and business with the Syrian kingdom of Geshur. Maaka was David's third wife, and she probably did not believe in David's God. She was a pagan. She was a Syrian. Uh, perhaps Maaka, whose name means oppression. Why would you name your child a name that meant oppression? But that is her name. She is Absalom's mother. And chances are she did not teach him the ways of God, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David. We're given no indication that Absalom was devout in any way. Maaka bore to David what the Bible records here in chapter 13 as two of the most beautiful people in all of Israel. 2 Samuel 13.1 says, Tamar was Absalom's lovely sister, or your translation, translation may say his beautiful sister. shows she was very attractive. Uh, uh, and in 2 Samuel 14, we see in verse 25 a description of Absalom. It says, Now in all of Israel there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels according to the king's standard. So this beautiful hair was a bit of a burden to Absalom. It became so heavy that he would have to cut it off 
Some would even suggest that maybe he even shaved his head. But some have said that Absalom's hair could have weighed as much as three to five pounds when he would weigh it. And we will see that this, this gorgeous hair he had played a big role even in Absalom's uh, death. The name Absalom literally means father of peace. But Absalom, we shall see, is exactly the opposite of that. He did not live up to his name. I believe that the larger story of the life of Absalom begins right here in chapter 13 with an event that involves uh, his sister and his half-brother Amnon. The foundation for the dysfunctional life of Absalom as a young adult, I believe, is set up right here in this experience. So in 2 Samuel 13, 2, we will see that Amnon is lovesick over his half-sister Tamar. And Amnon, it says, thought it impossible to do anything to her. She, it says she was a virgin, but he found it impossible to do anything to her. Folks, that, that right there is an evil thought, isn't it? He's, he's not concerned about who she is as a, as a person. He wants to do something to her, and we know what that is. As uh, stated, it, it shows the true nature, to me, of Amnon's heart. If, and if Amnon was truly in love with Tamar, I think his love has turned to lust. And I submit to you that he only wanted intimate relations with this beautiful woman. And we shall see shortly that he had no real love for her in his heart. And his lust for what he could not have only drove him mad and to the point of appearing ill. He was losing weight. Now, his cousin serves as an advisor to him. And this cousin is a, a fellow by the name of Jonadab. And he suggests a scheme of sorts, a conniving way to let Amnon have his way with Tamar. So he says, pretend to be sick and then go ask your father, King David, permission to have Tamar come to your house and cook you a meal and feed it to you. Give me some comfort food. Maybe that'll make me feel better. So he does that. King David agrees to the request that Amnon makes. And Tamar comes to the home of Amnon to do as she was asked by her father. And as she comes to Amnon's bed, which he's pretending to be very sick, to feed him this food that she makes, he grabs her, he forces her, into a sexual encounter. And as he's overpowering her, she begs him not to force himself on her. And it will cause, it will cause her to be humiliated. And if you read those verses, it's a sad... I mean, it, makes you, it breaks your heart to think of what he's doing to her. And you know, there are still cultures and nations today, religions today, where a woman who has been raped due to no fault of her own, she is shunned. Sometimes stoned to death. But death for the victim is not God's law, which shows us that sometimes when men put their hands to God's righteousness, it becomes unrighteousness. And here we see that, that she's afraid for herself, what will happen to her. And even in her own heart and mind, she feels like, if you tamper with me, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to be ruined. And I think true love would have stopped right there. If, even if a man had lost his senses for a moment of passion, true love would have halted this entire encounter. 
and thwarted this devious scheme of Amnon's. But we see that he was not driven by love, but by lust. Verse 15, it says, And after Amnon does what he does, then Amnon, it says, hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love which, with which he had loved her. And Amnon says, get out of my sight, leave me. And he even calls his servant and has him kick her out of the house. Now, there are many sad parts to this story. But I think one of the saddest is what it did to Tamar. In the last part of verse 20, it says, So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. This quick, brief encounter ruined her life. She was never the same. It broke her. She was despondent, felt rejected, probably didn't go out in public very much. Here this beautiful woman who had so much in store for her probably, Amnon destroys that fruit. And all this dysfunction and mayhem now in David's house is the result of David's own sin with Bathsheba and the death of her husband Uriah. Nathan the prophet, if you recall, confronted David with these sins and brought the word of the Lord to him. If we were to back up in 2 Samuel 12, I'm going to have it on the screen for you to see it. It says that Nathan said, Now therefore the sword shall not ever depart from your house, because you've despised me. You've taken this wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. The Lord says, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did this secretly, but I'm going to do this thing out in the open where everybody can see it. Now, I've taken the time to delve into this portion of the story as it relates to Absalom because Absalom seeks revenge upon Amnon. And I think this is the beginning of his animosity toward his father David uh, and the continuation of this prophecy of Nathan's. Uh, which was given to King David literally years before. So notice how David responds to this shameful act of Amnon. Verse 21 of chapter 13, When David heard all of this, he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister. A a nine-word sentence says what we need to know. When King David heard all this, he got mad. David did nothing. He did not judge nor correct his son. If David had been a law-abiding follower of God, he would have had to pass judgment on Amnon. God lets us see here that David's own sin of adultery and murder allowed, he chose to sidestep God's law even in his own sin. And now with Amnon, who's raped his half-sister, David once again sidesteps God's law. And I can only imagine that King David probably passed judgment onto other men who would appear before him in court who have done a similar deed. 
But he does nothing, not even scolding Amnon. And Absalom sees his father's negligence and injustice. And he begins to loathe his father for it. And Absalom cooks in this hatred. He stews in this for two years. And then he takes matters into his own hands. So two years after the rape of Tamar, Absalom throws a party for all of his brothers, all of his siblings, and invokes his servants. He says, when Amnon has got his fill of wine, he's got his buzz on, and he can't really control himself, he doesn't know what's happening, I want you to, I'm going to give you a word. And I want you to take courage. I want you to go over there, and I want you to gather around him and kill him on the spot. Absalom didn't have the courage to do it himself, but he has his hired servants to do such, and he takes Amnon out. Absalom now flees to his grandfather's house, to Maacah's home in Syria, to the king of Geshur, and kind of hides out there for the next three years. So let's wrap up this little portion, because I felt like I needed to set the foundation for why Absalom is going to be like he is. But let's, let's look at some things we can learn from this spot right here. The first thing is lust and unscrupulous schemes. When we lust for things we should not or cannot have, we're tempted to design devious schemes to have it. Ask God today to examine your heart to see if there's any wayward way within you. Is there something that you're lusting for in this season of life that is not God's best for you? Ask yourself, am I designing some scheme whereby I can have this thing that is so tempting? Probably something that will bring injury to you or to your family or to other people. Be careful of lust and unscrupulous schemes. The second thing is a dad's delinquency. David was delinquent and careless in his responsibility as a parent and as a king. David was only angered about Amnon's abuse of Tamar, but he did nothing about it. Now, I have a point of view about this. I didn't really read this anywhere, but as I meditated on these verses and asked the Lord, you know, what, what, what do I need to understand about this? I believe that this, this faux pas, this blundering mistake in David's parenting and, and uh, political life caused Absalom to seek his sister Tamar's restitution to get revenge for Amnon's disgraceful action. But if David had rightly disciplined, and we could say punished because what Amnon did is a punishable offense, then perhaps Absalom would have not been caught up in this passion of revenge. I think David's parenting delinquency uh, goes back much further than this lone event. And David's unwillingness to discipline his grown son. I have no way of knowing this for sure, but I think my opinion might be valid. In fact, I read something later. I'm going to show you a quote where I got some support in this by uh, someone you would respect, I respect. Perhaps David had not invested spiritual values in his children, in his family. When a man such as David is busy with the nation's needs 
and also has many wives and concubines, which God told him not to do, then it's probably likely that he doesn't have the energy and the time necessary to invest in his children and impart spiritual values that he carried. For Amnon to scheme to have his way with a half-sister tells me that God was not controlling Amnon's life as he did David's life. And we can see there is damage done here by David's neglect. I want to show you a quote. I love Matthew Henry. Let's put that quote up there. It says, indulged children always prove crosses to godly parents. You found that true? Haven't you seen enough of life to know that's true? Whose foolish love leads them to neglect their duty to God. And Matthew Henry is writing, this is out of his commentary, he's writing on this passage in 2 Samuel. And he, he sees it too, that David probably neglected and indulged his children in ways that he should not have done. Let that sink in. Young parents, let that sink in. Be careful that we do not indulge our children with too much stuff, too much material goods, or indulge their sin without correction. There needs to be that investment of our time. And, and what we believe in Christ. The third thing is stewing and brewing. Absalom nursed, cursed, and rehearsed the offense that Amnon brought to Tamar. He allowed it to stew for two years. And he's carrying grudges and offense. And such a thing can brew hate to such an intensity, even in ourselves, that we can and will say and do things we otherwise wouldn't say or do. I have been guilty of that. Beware that you do not hold grudges. Either your own hurt or you carry the pain of another. Someone close to you that you love and you saw them wounded and then you carry a grudge against the the perpetrator over it. This will cause hurt in you to fester and boil over into ungodly behavior. We shall see now that this killing of Amnon set Absalom up for years of estrangement from his family and allowed the devil himself to germinate the seeds of rebellion and the strategy to carry out that rebellion in Absalom's heart. And those actions brought him to an untimely and cruel death. Absalom, as we've said, now flees to his grandfather's house in Geshur, And he hides out there for three years. Now eventually, David allows Absalom to return to Jerusalem. Absalom sends word, would you let me come home? Would you let me come home? And and so you can read about that in chapter 14. We're not going to cover any of those verses. They pretty much just cover that idea right there. But Absalom does return. But here's the thing. He's commanded by David, don't come and see me. I don't want to look at you. I don't want you to see my face. I don't want, you to, see, I don't want to see yours. You stay in your house, and you're not welcome at the palace. So he's in town, but he's being shunned by his father. Now, we've got two years 
between the rape of Tamar and the killing of Amnon. We have three years in Geshur, and it's another two years before Absalom actually gets to come and see his dad. There's seven years of estrangement, of problems. Seven years for all of this to come up into his system and cause him to want to get revenge. So Absalom, after a couple of years living in Jerusalem, but he can't come see dad, he complains to one of David's chief men and persuades him to arrange a confrontation with David. And so Joab does that, and Absalom sends word by Joab that if the king finds me guilty, he can kill me on the spot. You tell dad, if he finds me guilty, he can take me out right there, personally. So I believe this extra two years does add fuel to the fire, and now Absalom is is about ready to act on his strategy of rebellion. His desire to go before his father, though, is not for restitution. He's there to get a bearing on whether it be easy or hard to manage his planned strategy of a political coup. David does receive Absalom back into the palace, and instead of an execution, what's he do? He kisses him. Like, kiss him on the cheek. Embraces him. Such an expression should have said, I love you. I forgive you to Absalom. But Absalom probably didn't take it that way. He felt it was disingenuous, and his heart was too hard to receive that. So here's where I think we will begin this bigger idea of the message today. From here on, we're going to expose a spirit which I'm going to refer to as the Absalom spirit. I believe this demonic spirit was at work in Absalom, causing him to connive and to go after his father's throne. I believe it's also at work in the world today. And the phrase Absalom spirit is not the name of a demon spirit that was at work in Absalom, but it's just a way of labeling it such so that we can recognize it, we can talk about it, and make some understanding in our heart about how to deal with it. This portion of the story right here has served me well for many years. It was long before I came to Living Waters Church, and I've been here 30 plus years. It was long before I came to Living Waters that I understood the Absalom spirit. I don't know where I got the revelation. I don't think God gave it to me personally. I think I read about it or I heard a sermon on it. But it has served me well, and I want it to serve you well. Maybe you've already heard sermons on the Absalom spirit before. But if it's new to you, I want you to grab a hold of it very well. It's helped me to discern if someone is trying to undermine me or maybe trying to undermine a pastor that I'm working with. Uh, Other people that might be in my care as leaders, but I see that the Absalom spirit is trying to come against them. I had a friend not long ago call me, telling me about an issue in his church. He's a pastor. And... Uh, by the time he got into that discussion of what was going on, I said, Brother, you, you've got an Absalom spirit there. Uh, he goes, Well, what, what are you talking about? And I ran through it with him. And he went before his board, shared what I'd shared with him. They said, That's exactly what we're dealing with. And it helped them to understand and to deal with the situation that they were facing. <clears throat> 
So now Absalom comes back into the palace. David at this point, now he's, he's further deceived by Absalom, thinking his son was there to seek forgiveness. But Absalom was there to determine the state of mind that David was in and how difficult it would be to do what he wants to do. So <clears throat> you can read more about the details of it. I'm not going to get down into the nitty-gritty. We're going to have to skim across the top of the main points. But here, being the king's son... Absalom had a measure of power, and he probably had a pretty nice expense account, okay? And he's now back in town. He's feeling freer to roam about the city. And after returning, he, his pride causes him to parade around town in a pompous fashion. He hires a secret service detail of 50 men to be his bodyguards. And he spends money on a Ferrari, uh, a chariot, and some horses, and uh, rides around in his gilded chariot and looking like the son of the king. So people probably knew that he wasn't, and David weren't giving along, but now he's back, and de- they've heard David received him, and they're looking around and going, oh, this is probably going to be our next king. Yeah, this is, what, this is probably what's going to happen. And so he gets favor. But the most underhanded thing he did was this. And we're going to find that in chapter 15, verse 2, if you want to look on the screen or turn there in your Bible. And it says, Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call him and say, Hey there, buddy, what, what city are you from? And they would say, Well, your servant is from such and such city in Israel, some such tribe of Israel. And then verse 3, and then Absalom would say to him, look, uh, come over here, talk to me about why you're here. Uh, your case is good. So he would, he would single out the people that were coming to see the king uh, to try to settle up some uh, issue in court. Your case is good and right. But there's no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land. Why, if I was the king, I would take care of you. And everyone who has... Any suit or cause would come to me, and I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to Absalom, which he's dressed in his fine clothes, he's got the 50 men around him, and the horse and the chariot, and they know he's the prince. They come over to bow and pay him homage, and he said, oh, no, no, no. He picks him up by the elbows and lifts him up and says, come here, you're my brother. And he gives him a kiss, and he hugs him, and... Verse 6, in this manner, Absalom acted toward all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. I want you to notice that last sentence. Absalom stole their hearts. Absalom, these verses tell us, was diligent and purposeful in his plot to overthrow his father, the king. Verse 2 says he would rise early. This man was intentional and strategic. Uh, He had a plan, and he worked his plan. See, the Absalom spirit is not not random. It's not careless. It strategizes, it plans, it meditates on how to get the job of gaining control done. And daily, Absalom would stand at the city gate and undermine the authority of the king. Not with some speech, not with strong words of criticism, not with uh, speeches of defiance and rebellion, 
but with sly and shrewd methods of creating doubt in the people's minds and hearts. Absalom was eroding confidence in his father's authority, in his father's fairness as king. He made people question whether David was truly for the little guy. Oh, he's, he's got too many big things to handle. He's for the corporations. He's not for you. He's not going to listen to you. But if I were king, I'd be concerned about you. So eventually, Absalom not only stole the hearts of the people, but he steals the hearts of the priests and some of David's loyal army. And these come over to Absalom's side. And so, over weeks and months, by the time Absalom has worked his strategy, he eventually has a huge following. So much so that David knows that he would lose should he try to fight it out with Absalom. Now I'm going to summarize quickly kind of how this next portion of the story goes because I have some other things I want to show you that uh, I think are going to be the tools you'll need. But what happens is David gathers up his family, the court, those loyal to him, some of his fighting men, gathers them all up, and he walks out of Jerusalem barefooted. Do you know what it, what it says to people when the king walks out, hanging his head, and he's walking barefooted? It says, defeat. It says, I'm done. There is no more King David. My throne is over. I concede. I'm going to give it to him. It kind of bothered me at first. I thought, well, come on, David. Do some, rise up. Rise up. Be the king. Take care of this young man. He, maybe he is your flesh and blood, but put him in his place. I'm going to show you in a minute why David didn't do that. David leaves behind ten concubines. I hate even saying that word. That's just a, that's just a terrible word. Ten concubines to maintain the palace, to serve Absalom. And Absalom, in his pride and arrogance, has other servants to set up a tent on the rooftop of the palace. And he makes an announcement. I'm going to go in and I'm going to lay with all my father's concubines to further humiliate his father. And he does it in the daytime with announcements being made that he has totally annihilated the reign of his father. How arrogant this man could be. Remember Nathan the prophet saying, I will take your wives before your very eyes and give them to, he says, your neighbor. Wasn't just his neighbor, it was his son. And he said, I'll do it in daylight so all can see. If that's not enough, Absalom is not satisfied that his father has fled the throne. He wants to hunt him down. He wants to humiliate him further before everyone. He wants to bring him back to the city and make a mockery of him. If you know the story, you remember that during the search for David, there were skirmishes and small battles here and there 
David had gone to a refuge city. The, all the people said, don't, don't go out to fight your son. You stay back. We need you here. We need you alive. We'll take care of the battles. So in one of the skirmishes, Absalom was there. And he's found. And he decides, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of Dodge. He jumps on the back of the mule and takes off flying. And that beautiful head of hair is just going like this in the wind. And he, he rides under a tree, and I'm sure he had to dodge the limb of the tree. But his fate, as God would have it, that beautiful hair gets caught in the limbs of those tree, that tree, so tangled, and that mule keeps going. And now Absalom is hanging between heaven and earth. Can't get out of it. Had to pull out his knife and cut his hair off, I guess. But he doesn't even have time because Joab finds him. And even though David had asked Joab to be careful with my son, don't, don't let any harm come to my son. Joab ignores that. And the Scripture says Joab ran three daggers into Absalom's chest. And if that's not bad enough, he calls ten of his other soldiers come over and says, you guys want a shot at him? You're my, you're my, you're my bodyguards. Let, let, let's, let's take him out completely. And he lets them all pierce that beautiful body of Absalom's with their javelins, swords, whatever they had. This hair that had helped make Absalom so handsome, that gave him so much pride, now mocks him. It's the very thing that caught him. His pride and arrogance, I believe, was taken down by God Himself. Let us remember, when we're dealing with the Absalom spirit, God is not mocked. And God is not unjust. He will see to it. The Absalom spirit, I believe, is at work in the world today. It's rampant right now. In politics, in our culture, it's rampant in the workplace. It's all over the place. It's in some of our families. We're bombarded with so much doubt and fear-creating verbiage, chaos and confusion. It's difficult to know the truth. The Spirit of the Lord within us, though, wants us to know the truth, to discern the spirit of the age, to know what God is representing and what He's not in or representing, how He's speaking. We must, as believers, listen to, adhere to God's Spirit and not listen to or adhere to an Absalom Spirit. Whether it's in the world, the church, business, the office, the factory, the school, we have to discern the spirits of the age and know the times and seasons that we live in. In a nutshell, the Absalom spirit seeks to undermine legitimate, righteous authority. It tries to gain a foothold of control and to usurp those who have been placed legitimately in authority. If it can't do that, it will at least create doubt chaos, confusion, 
and rebellion. Do you have someone in your life that is being ruled or influenced by this same spirit that influenced Absalom? Perhaps you yourself are experiencing the pressure and chaos of that spirit trying to use you. That can happen, believer. That spirit can start whispering its death to you and you begin to see leadership in a critical eye. It can happen so easily. Now I want to list for you, and you have a copy of it in your possession, uh, indicators of an Absalom spirit. And I want to give credit to Dr. Dave Williams of Dave Williams Ministry for providing this concise list. There are other lists that have more things, but these were, I think, the most important ones. Didn't have time to go through everything. But I think you'll recognize as we go through this that you have experienced some of these during your lifetime. And I chose to give you a handout because I want you to take that with you. And I want you to keep that uh, somewhere so that you can refer to it. And then I didn't want you to have to make notes of uh, these because I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. Number one, they have big dreams. Oh, they have big dreams. But they see other people blocking their dreams. They, they can't get those dreams accomplished because you're in my way. Or you're not releasing me to do what I can do. And oftentimes we see that a lot in church. We might see that in business. Big dreams but somebody else is blocking those dreams. Number two, they feel their perceived level of wisdom is being ignored or their super gifts are not being put to use. They want more recognition than they're getting. Oh, if you just let me have this, I could make this a success. I know I could do this if you just let me take it. And sometimes you hear that out of a person and you go, brother, I'd be afraid you'd tear tear it all up. Because you'd go after it in the wrong spirit. Or you don't know other things that I know about this situation. Did you know that Absalom built a monument for himself? In 2 Samuel 18, that's the last chapter of this story, verse 18, it says, Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I, I don't have a son to keep my name, in remembrance, so he called the pillar after his own name, and to this day it's called Absalom's Monument. I don't think that monument is there now, but at the writing of 2 Samuel, it was. Verse, uh, number three, they have false criteria. Absalom had a way of judging everything by his own criteria. He exercised a critical spirit based on his opinion. We find this a lot uh, in church with, with various people at times. Uh, don't really have facts, don't have solid evidence, but it's the way I think about it. And if I think this, it must be true. Number four, a person under the influence of the Absalom spirit gets offended at leadership and then secretly arranges the subtle execution of the leader's reputation, his achievements, or his integrity. Beware of gossip and accusatory spirits toward others. 
The Absalom spirit builds a case against a leader by pointing out flaws, magnifying failures and weaknesses. Listen, this can happen in a this can happen in a life group. Life group leaders can be attacked by someone who thinks they can do it better, or their opinion matters more than the leader. They haven't been placed in leadership, therefore they they have to do schemes to get it to get it known and to get accomplished what they want to do. Number six, an Absalom spirit thrives on hidden agendas, concealed strategies, and secret alliances. Everything is done in secret through whispers and meetings behind closed doors. I heard years ago of a pastor who returned from his summer vacation to find that he was no longer the pastor of the church. A man in the church had risen up while he was, took, it, took advantage of his two-week uh, absence, uh, gathered, garnished people around him, probably had already been working in the background, and took over the church. Folks, that's just wrong. That's an Absalom spirit. Number seven, Absalom is a master of manipulation and flattery. The spirit will flatter others to attract them and get them on board. So, can you feel flattery when somebody says things to you that that are, are flattering? Can you feel the difference between flattery and sincerity? I often can. It's just like, prick, mink, flag goes up, and I go, ah, that felt like flattery right there. So, wonder what the agenda is for why I just got what I got. Appreciate kind words if they're sincere. I do. I try to give them. But flattery is, is, uh, is a wicked thing. Number eight, the Absalom spirit feeds its followers with fault-finding and a critical spirit. It manipulates conversations to discover kindred negativity. Think about that. It manipulates the conversation to try to explore you to see if they can find a kindred negativity in you. I was part of a... Um, prayer group, we would have visitation on Monday night, and at some point we started praying after that for revival in the church. That went on for several weeks, and we'd stay late, I mean, up into the night to pray for revival in this church. This was a long, long time ago. And uh, a particular individual started giving prayer requests. Here's what I'd like to pray for tonight. And Every time it was either about a pastor, a staff member, or the church in general. And it always had a barb in it. It had a critical feeling to it. And I felt like then they were fishing. They're throwing out some bait to see if somebody else. So after the prayer meeting, someone would go say, have you been thinking about that too? Have you, do you see that like I see it? So they're throwing out bait to find the kindred spirit of negativity. Beware of that. It's subtle. It is so subtle. And then number nine, and the last one, an Absalom spirit exhibits false humility, yet proudly believes he is wiser and better than the appointed leader. I heard a guy say years ago, if you're the new pastor at the church, beware of the guy that picks you up at the airport and, and, and tells you on the way in how great you're going to be. That's the guy that's going to turn on you later. So we have to be careful that, you know, remember the story of Julius Caesar 
Brutus gives him a hug and puts the knife in his back. It's a false humility, a false kindness, and you have to be very careful about that. This can happen in families. You might have a sibling that has done you that way. And, and, and they look like they're all on board, they love you, but they'll say things behind your back, they'll make your mom and dad feel different uh, about you than, than they should, uh, p- pointing out your negative faults and what you did wrong and how it should have been different. So we have to be very careful of all these things. I hope you found that helpful. Dr. Dave Williams says, and I have a quote, when an Absalom spirit is at work in a church or business, even in a family. Do I have that quote in there? Maybe I don't. So I'll just read. When an Absalom spirit is at work in a church or business, even in a family, you will notice turmoil, confusion, and will probably experience a twisted stomach and a bombardment of your thought life because of the demonic release of an Absalom spirit. I believe that's true for any demonic spirit. You go in the factory and you're at peace, but you get in there and it's trouble. I mean, there's trouble in the air. It's depressing. You go into the office, there's been gossip, there's been talk. They don't like the new supervisor. They're talking over the Coke machine and around the coffee table, on the break. It creates a lot of spiritual darkness that wants to hover around that it, it's found a place that it can, they can hang out and it's welcome. And we have to learn how to take authority over that kind of thing. And that's what I'm going to give you next. It's a spirit of disloyalty, betrayal, strife, division, rebellion, revenge, confusion, and pride that's at work around us. That can be in a church. We, do, we say no. That's not going to be in a fellowship that we're part of. We will not tolerate it. No spirit of Absalom can work, have its way in our midst. Not in my family, not in my work, not in my church of worship, not in my place of recreation. No, nowhere is that going to have authority in my life. I'm not going to live in that spirit and have that spirit working its thing around me. So let's remember Paul's words to the Ephesians. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. Don't let that scare you. There's a lot of them in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up this armor of God, put on that helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, feet shod with the gospel of peace, belt of truth, get your sword of the Spirit out, get, get bolted up with the armor of God, and fight. Withstand in the evil day. And having done everything you can do, just stand there sometimes. That's what you should do. There's a way. That we can win. Why did David leave barefooted? Why did David not fight back? He didn't have this verse of Scripture to read, but he knew the God of this verse of Scripture. And he knew that he didn't fight against Absalom. He didn't want to fight against Absalom. He was fighting against a spirit that was driving his son. And he let God... How many Psalms are written where 
David says, I'm going to let God be my source of strength. I'm going to let God be my shield and protector. I'm going to let God shatter the teeth of my enemies. So he was, he was willing to humiliate himself, go out of town with his, no shoes on his feet, look like a, a king that had been whipped and defeated, knowing God was going to take care of this. So how do we overcome the Absalom spirit? Flip that piece of paper over, and I've got several things there I'm going to share with you quickly. Number one, pray for an ex- and exercise the gift of discerning spirits. 1 Corinthians 12.10 admonishes us to do that. This is probably the most important of all that list. You have to discern. If you wrongly discern, then, then you're going to offend somebody else if you speak against what is not the Absalom spirit. You don't want to do that. But you need to discern. What's, what's at work here? God, show me. I, my, my, my spirit is, is at unrest. I'm feeling the bombardment. I'm feeling the confusion. What's going on? God will show us as believers. Number two, keep your distance if you recognize an Absalom spirit at work. Folks, Absalom is not your friend. If he is not after you, he will infect you with what he has. Psalm 101, 4 through 8. I won't read the whole thing. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, now God is speaking, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endear. You don't want to be close to that guy when God deals with him. Number three, don't give the Absalom spirit a place in your life, ministry, or business. In other words, don't give them a position. Don't let them have authority. Again, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against a spirit. But it's manifesting in this person, and you can't let that person have a place of authority. They will just they now have a platform to spread their spirit among others. Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. The real trick on that is if you don't know they have an Absalom spirit and you've already given them a place of authority. That's, that's where it really is tough. We need the wisdom of God how to deal with those kinds of things. And we've had that before. I've had that before. And so <clears throat> those are very difficult. Number four, do what you can to protect those who could be hurt or destroyed by an Absalom spirit. Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. We have to protect people from the wolf. And folks, wolves don't come dressed as wolves. They come dressed as sheep. And many will not recognize that. And if you're head of household or supervisor in a business or a factory or leader in the church. Be prepared to face this from time to time. Hopefully not often, but it will come. Number five, be on guard and mark those who display an Absalom spirit. Wow, that seems a little harsh. That's out of uh, Romans six, seventeen and 18, which says, Now I urge you, brethren... Note those who cause divisions. Mark them. I see you. Now, you may not say it publicly, but you say, God, I see that. 
That man's a, that's man's a problem. He's going to be a problem. That woman is going to be an issue. And so we have to mark them, understand them, know them. Uh, those who are contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own stomach, their own flesh. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of simple-minded folks. And simple-minded is not a... To be simple is not a degrading term. It's just you're not... Maybe children or others who haven't been walking with the Lord or, or for whatever reason haven't matured in the faith. It's those who, of us who are stronger in the Lord that must protect those people and be on guard. Number six, pray for the individual exercising an absolute spirit. Now, the first one he said was pray for and exercise the gift of discernment. So we've got to pray there. But on the end of it, we pray again. We pray for that individual, that God would deliver them from that spirit. Take authority over that spirit first in prayer, earnest prayer, maybe fasting. And at some point, if necessary, bring it to other trusted intercessors if necessary. I'd say that that should be a long time before you'd ever divulge what you feel is Right, but you can also go to leadership if you feel an Absalom spirit is at work. If you have an Absalom spirit working in your midst, uh, in the office or the factory or wherever you are, school, uh, I'm encouraging you today, come at prayer time in our last song and have somebody stand with you on that. They don't know that person. So you can say, I've, I've got this. I want, you to, I want you to pray with me, stand in faith with me. Now, I'm going to show you a little slide here. Is that... Uh, yeah. So, this is uh, Jennifer LeClaire Ministry. This is her picture. I, I'm try- I told you I'm trying to train you to use uh, QR codes. Uh, you can take your phone, and I have that on your paper as well. You just take your phone, camera, and just, just put it over that QR code, and you'll get, go to the YouTube uh, video where she prays for almost 30 minutes against the Absalom spirit. She's showing you how to pray with authority, using Scripture, declarations of the Lord that we can use. So she will show you how to pray against that. Again, I'm trying to give you a tool whereby you can learn how to deal with this Absalom spirit. Let me say this. I have given you one other page there that's called Personal Cautions. Uh, do not allow the Absalom spirit to work through you. And there's probably about 12 or 14 sentences that are intended to kind of prick your spirit and do a self-examination. We won't read them all. I'll read maybe three or four. If ever I'm more concerned about my recognition than the mission, malevolent degenerative forces are probably at work. Uh, Second one, I'll just go down to the next one. If ever I seek to manipulate someone for personal gain, I have sided with Satan and lost the anointing of God. Key there is that you're going after personal fame and glory, personal gain in some way. I like this next one. If ever I dig a pit for another, I'm sure to be buried in that very grave. Uh, Jump on down. Uh, a couple more. If ever I am not content with what I have, I can be sure I won't be content with what I want. 
There's a bunch of them there. They're, they're very powerful. They're very self-examining kinds of statements. So maybe make those a matter of prayer. If you don't find anything, then praise God. If, you, if, you, if you're pricked in your heart and conscience that maybe, maybe you've yielded a little bit to an Absalom spirit, certainly go to the Lord in prayer and yieldedness and repentance over that. Let's take our go around uh, down to home plate. We're closing here. So David, King David is sitting in the safe city. He's behind the city gate. And a messenger comes to him to tell him of Absalom's death. And this messenger says, in effect, may all the king's enemies be as this young man, Absalom. Sad, dark, bleak news. The very thing David did not want has now happened. And immediately David is stricken with unspeakable grief. And he cries out, O Absalom, my son, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son. That is why I entitled today's message, My Son, My Son, Destruction by the Absalom Spirit. It breaks down relationships and destroys what God has ordained. It brings grief. It brings sorrow. I told you, if you watched my little video I sent out last night, very difficult assignment. Thank you, Stephen. But it has to be dealt with. We can learn so much. We can, we can sharpen the edge of our, our walk with God so that we understand what we're facing. We're not dull. We don't let it overcome us and walk on us. We know how to, especially when we're, we're striving to love one another, especially in a church, a body of believers, trying to do the work of the kingdom of God. So let us learn deeply from this biblical story. First, let us be responsible as parents to our children, as leaders in our church, or in the workplace, a manager or an office supervisor. God help us to have a keen understanding of what we're seeing, what we're experiencing with those that were, that's under our charge. Even if it requires tough love to deal with it. And then secondly, let's learn to recognize that Absalom spirit to rebuke it, to deny its existence, and to never allow it to be tolerated in our family, in our homes, in this church, in our body. We can take authority. Have no reason to be afraid of it. Speak the name of Jesus. He's given you all the weapons. Use them with faith. We all face this from time to time, but there perhaps is someone here today that you say, I, I don't even know the God you're talking about. I don't know. I don't have salvation. I have no authority to do anything because I don't know this Jesus. Well, you can. You can come to Him. You can tell Him you want Him. You, you want to be him, him to be Lord of your life, to be part of who you are. 
You do that by repenting of your sins. You do that by sharing your innermost recesses of your heart with Him and just invite Him in. And He promises He will come and He will set up His throne in your heart and life. We have a, we have a call line we, we often put on the screen. And uh, if you are, are watching either live or sometime later, uh, if you're watching live, you can call that number. Uh, you could email info at living-waters.org. Somebody will reach out to you. Uh, maybe you're not ready to receive Christ, but you just love to ask some questions. We've got somebody on the other end of that line right now. They'll take you as far as you want to go. They won't pressure you, but they will sit and talk to you and help you to discern what God wants for your life. Friends, I'm just encouraging you today. If this is, if you know an Absalom spirit is working in your life somewhere, come up and pray. Get somebody to stand with you in faith. Where two or more agree on anything, Jesus said, we're going to have it. And this is praying according to His will. Would you stand with me as we pray? Thank you for your attention today. I appreciate that so much. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we thank you that you're on the throne, that Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And nothing gets by you. The world is in your hands. Whatever we are seeing out in the world today or uh, what we'll see in the future, nothing is done but that you allow it. You're in charge. You will take care of it according to your righteous will and plan. We just want to be in the, in the shadow of the cross of Jesus. That place is safe right there. We want to be covered by the blood. We want to be walking in forgiveness. We want to be walking in the fullness of the Spirit and anointed by God to be, to be a light in the shine, shining out in this dark world. Lord, looking out across what's expected of us sometimes, if we look at it through unredeemed eyes, it seems very difficult. But if we would just see it through your eyes, all things are possible through Christ who loves us. We are overwhelmingly made conquerors through Jesus. He is the victorious one and we ride on his coattails to be victorious with him. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. So Father, I thank you for the authority you've given us as believers, for the discernment of your Holy Spirit working in us to discern the spirits of the age and the courage to stand against the enemy that's working overtime to destroy all the good things that you destined for your people and for this earth. God bless us this week. Give us courage to stand, courage to speak, to be bold in our witness for Jesus and to be the church and the light of glory in this dark world. Bless this congregation, all those who are watching online. Uh, anoint us and adorn us with your grace for living out victorious lives in the world today. In Jesus' name I pray. We're going to sing a little bit. If you want to stay, fine. But I'm going to dismiss you. Be blessed. Go be the church. Go be a witness for Jesus Christ who loved you and gave himself for you.
Thank you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.